This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello, everyone, on your product mastery journey. Thanks for joining us. And today, we're going to be talking about how we build innovation into a, an organization, how we design organizations for innovation. And joining us is someone who knows a great deal about this, Dr. Ben Sa. He is Professor of Technology Management and Professor of Asian Business and Comparative Management at NCED, one of the top business schools in the world. He has also been serving roles at Harvard, Wharton, and Haas Business Schools. His research centers on innovation and how organizations innovate. And he has a recent book that we're going to be diving into a little bit about some of this research called Built to Innovate, where he shares a proven system for building innovation into an organization's DNA. And as always the case, if you hear something that you want to go back to, we do take detailed written notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide to help you take action and, and on the key takeaways from our discussion. All those resources can be found at productmasterynow.com slash 355. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chad. Thank you for having me. So I am in Colorado today, and you are at an undisclosed location in Japan. <laughs> so there, there might be a little delay in the recording, but we'll, we'll get all this sorted out, I'm sure. But my first question for you is just about where the, what was the research that led to this innovation framework that you talk about in your book? Well, the, the research started with my teaching and consulting activity about 20 years ago. I was very often called to, to teach a, a set of concepts called Blue Ocean Strategy that one of my colleagues at uh, INSEAD developed. But I was in charge of trying to make it work with companies. And I, I, I saw what people could do with it. In particular, just to take an example, I saw a, a company uh, called Corsa. So this is a traditional company in a very established business. They are making fabrics for uh, tire companies, for, tire, for mm -hmm. tires. And the CEO was able to transform a supplier for commodity business into a very innovative solution provider and services provider, not only to the auto industry, but they also opened new markets in construction business, in aerospace business. So I saw this guy built from the ground up an innovating engine in a very, very traditional business. So this is what uh, led me to want to share this experience and 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 open it to to the wide public. Very good. So you saw that example of how that happened, how they created such innovation. And that really got you thinking about a framework for making this happen. Have you seen the same framework take shape in other organizations that you've studied that you've worked with? Yes, absolutely. And uh, the book came out of uh, observing these patterns after after organization and organization and seeing the fact that Innovation is not only about products and technologies. Innovation can happen anywhere in the organization. Huh? A lot of organizations focus on either the, the genius leaders, the founders who create this big disruptive idea, or on specialists in R&D and, and other departments to generate the innovation. But in fact, innovation can happen with anyone. Anyone in the organization can innovate. And you can innovate in Anything you do, there are a lot of places where innovation can happen and leaders have to find that. 
Yeah, and that's good news. And as product managers, our focus tends to be on the on the products we're providing customers, but certainly we also run into opportunities to improve a process, to improve um, quality somewhere else, to improve our business model, maybe in different aspects of innovation. And innovation can happen inside, can happen outside. There's there's been too much of a focus on products, on technology, and forgetting that functions can innovate. You can innovate in R&D. You can innovate in HR and legal. You can innovate literally anywhere in the organization. Okay, that was good. First about the organizational design, though, I have a question for you. And, you know, there's certainly many factors that influences an organization's ability to innovate. But we're both business professors and we recognize, I'm sure that you recognize this too, most business schools tend to prepare business leaders to design an organization for execution and optimize that execution. So what are your thoughts on trying to design an innovation when we've spent so many years really educating and growing business leaders that are focused on perfecting execution? I think there's nothing wrong with execution. I mean, any organization needs execution. There's a strategy that's been developed for today, and we need a very powerful engine to execute. Now, the execution engine is somewhat of a legacy of the industrial age. I mean, it's very good at executing, but it tends to actually stop innovation behavior. The second thing is that many organizations still rely on a specialized department, R&D, or specialist to do innovation. But innovation is the responsibility of every everyone. Hmm. And I think there's uh, one particular uh, type of people who have been ignored. We don't talk too much about middle managers. Middle managers have a very important role to play in innovation. I can give you an example. Bayer, the global uh, pharmacology and life sciences corporation in Germany. So in 2014, uh, Kemal Malik was a member of uh, the board of directors of uh, Bayer, and he was responsible, he was made responsible of innovation across the whole organization. So he started with, with a, sh- a blank sheet of paper and his team developed a strategy leveraging the innovative capability of 100,000 of people in Bayer. So as part of this strategy, the new board was responsible for innovation. The whole board was responsible for innovation. And then they selected 80 senior managers covering all countries and global functions to support the board as innovation ambassadors. And these people, they trained middle managers in innovation training. And then these middle managers would then train their own teams in innovating. So innovation has become the responsibility and the the job of everyone in the organization, not just the specialist. Why were they interested in pushing that out to, really, it sounds like all employees, to have all employees involved in innovation? Nobody would be surprised. Bayer is a fantastic machine for innovation. If you go to their scientists, they have the brightest scientists, chemists, R&D people, but they started to realize that their innovating capability was getting stalled. The, the, the markets were moving too fast. They were pressure from, from East Asia. There were new demands. And they realized that they were not tapping. They were failing to tap the innovating capability of 100,000 people within the organization. Hmm. So this is why they took the, 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 the job to enlist all of these people. 
to join into innovating. And the, the key really that, I mean, senior leaders understood the imperative of innovation. The frontline people who face customers and non-customers every day, they see the changing you know, needs and desires, but it was the middle management who was shielded from this direct pressure for innovation. And the board decided to sponsor these people, to convert these people, to train these people, to make them become ambassadors of innovation. And the, the, the tool they designed was to create, I would almost say, an army of trained coaches within the organization, spread around the, the, the organization. And these coaches were at the service of middle managers. Middle managers didn't have to do the training, but they had this central unit called I2S, Ideas for Success. And whenever they had a team that wanted to innovate, they could call upon these specialized coaches to come and help. So they made it very easy for um, middle managers to uh, engage their people in innovation. And of course, they also incentivize middle managers on innovation. I was just going to ask what those incentives might be like, because it sounds like they recognized that there was a problem here, that they were stalling out in their ability to compete because of uh, slowing innovation. They wanted to tap all of the resources in the organization and make everyone in some way responsible for innovation and pushing the organization to new levels of success. And so they created a good training system for this, these coaches. But over time, if there's not incentives and rewards for actually moving forward with creating ideas ideas, submitting ideas, taking action on ideas, these things tend to kind of fall from the wayside. We'll continue with Ben in just a moment, but I have an offer to tell you about. First, this podcast is brought to you by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. The RPM Experience is what Motorola, Praxair, Panasonic, SAP, Intersys, ALW, and other organizations have chosen to improve their product management capability in only nine weeks, meeting virtually 75 minutes a week leading to improved performance, higher revenue, and more value for customers. Small and large organizations have used this facilitated system to better create products customers love. As participants in the experience make progress, I'm also making observations and taking notes during their virtual sessions. At the end of the experience, I transform those notes into a customized next steps report. It's an action plan for rapid improvement tailored to the organization. Now, after conducting several RPM experiences, I'm sharing with you the most common recommendations that put your team on the right track to higher performance. It's in a short report titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Organizations have told me that their next steps report alone was worth the cost of the RPM experience. Now, you can give the most common recommendations at no cost. Get it now by going to productmasterynow.com love. That's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products customers love. Don't miss out on what other organizations are benefiting from. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love. Do you know how they created the incentive structure to keep this going? 
the intuition behind the system they put in place was to free the to give first to give permission to people to innovate and 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 to encourage middle managers by teaching them how important innovation was to stimulate to create the desire for the people to innovate then they created all the support structure for the middle managers to be able to do it without having to do it themselves so they they have these coaches they have local coordinators who can move the ideas across the organization and then, for instance, I'm thinking about Allianz, the, the giant the financial uh, giant in Germany as well. They created a league, uh, for instance, in the UK market, where the, the, the head of the UK market would actually create a, a, a table, like just in sports, and create the innovation league. So naturally, middle managers would not want to be at the bottom of the league. Very important, the frontline innovators were not the ones who were being incentivized. That would kill innovation immediately. It was the middle managers, those who don't necessarily make the come up with the ideas, but they are in charge of the team. So now their bonus, their performance is determined by the collective innovative capability and contribution of their teams. And then, of course, there's all sorts of recognitions, awards, presentations they can make to the, to, to, to the whole company. Their team get to speak to the CEO, present the ideas to the CEO. So it's not necessarily an incentive system that punishes them, but more encourages them makes things easy for them to engage and to certainly send their people. I mean, if their people come up with a great idea, they get they get the recognition as well as a middle manager. You said something in there I thought was a very important phrase, which was it gave permission to employees to innovate. And in organizations, sometimes there's attempts at creating some innovation, like I've been in the organization where the online version of the suggestion box is created. Let's collect your ideas, and that's going to help us come up with new products or, or lower our cost, you know, ways that's going to help the organization. And then nothing ever is done with those ideas. And in time, employees learn, well, it doesn't really matter. They don't really want our opinion. And innovation is kind of beat out of the system. And giving permission to employees to innovate is an important aspect of the culture if you actually want to innovate, right? Right, absolutely. And I've, I've, I can think of two examples. One, what, what you just said exactly happened when Allianz wanted to create this space for everybody to innovate. So they created an innovation information system. And then, of course, everybody was, was, was allowed to send ideas. And what they discovered after a few months after building the information system is that it got overloaded. I mean, the, the IT, the, I remember talking to the IT guys. They said, but, you know, there's too much here. We can't process it. And then they realized that uh, when people didn't get an answer after two, three weeks, sometimes months, they wouldn't send ideas anymore. So what they decided to do, instead of scrapping the system, they pointed at every local unit, the local innovation coordinator. Hmm. And this person was in charge of reading the suggestions, reading the ideas, and sending back feedback within 15 days. And then the idea would either be you know, explained away or would be moved to the next step into a funnel. Right. Another thing, for instance, as well, that the Bayer did, they created a system called WeSolve, where anybody in the company can send questions, not solutions, questions, problems they're dealing with. And anybody else in the company can, 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 can contribute a solution or an idea. 
And what they found out is that actually I visited the site once. Uh, you have about 200 of these challenges floating in the platform. I mean, it is all around the company. And now they have more than 40,000 people who have participated in this system. So the solution don't have to come from a central place. It is employees talking to employees. And they have 40,000 people who visited it. it. The site is in English, by the way. And apparently they have only 50,000 people who, who can uh, speak English. So this is quite of a, uh, a response rate here. And the other thing, by the way, Chad, that I found fascinating in this story is that they discovered that the people who provide a solution to a question are usually not people from the same division. Hmm. So it is really interesting that when you post a problem, a client issue or a client desire onto We Solve, you might get ideas from people who are far away from where the question was posed in the first place. And I think this is where you see anyone can innovate. And anyone has the permission. That's an excellent way to leverage your internal resources, right? These very smart people who have encountered yeah. different problems and found solutions and share those with each other. And I like that idea very much. I do want to revisit where innovation lives. So in these examples, it's been pushed out to all the employees of the organization to try to help the organization be more innovative in some sense. But there's certainly organizations, there's listeners right now that are in organizations where innovation lives nowhere. <laughs> there's some organizations where there is a innovation officer or a R&D group that's kind of responsible for the new thing and innovation that exists within a group. What are your thoughts on starting in a group versus starting with, you know, pushing it out to all employees? Which model seems to work better? Well, I would say that in, in the end, the, the, the CEO and the board, as I may say, are responsible for innovation. This is where, as you say, the buck stop. However, that does mean that everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a contribution to make to innovation. And the way you bridge the gap between having a central unit specializing to innovation and everyone being able to innovate is to create an infrastructure and processes that help coordinate and, and, and link these ideas together. So the typical examples I see, and I, I could, I could again give, give, give specific examples, but or, or a subcommittee of the board is responsible for innovation. They are the ones who legitimize. They are the ones who give permission to the whole organization. Mm -hmm. Then they take responsibility to enroll, to convince, and to bring on board the middle managers. Very often, they train them. I've seen companies like Kortsar where the CEO himself trains some of the, 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 the middle-level managers. Then to support them, once they have understood what innovation and the importance of innovation is, you create a separate unit. So we've seen Samsung create a, something called VIP. I saw BASF, the chemical company, create an initiative called Perspective. You saw Allianz create I2S. This is a small unit of people who are just training others and coaching people and supporting people in innovation. And these people are just there on a daily basis, running around the company, training coaches and training people in, into innovation. And then these people become local coaches. So now there, they got to a point where every unit has at least one innovation coach and they certify them. Hmm. And then, of course, you give permission to the people who are at the front line by creating 
a space and a time to be able to switch their activity, their mind from execution to innovation. So they get spare time to spend with a customer or non-customer and play with some of the tools that were tr- they were trained in by the coaches. So you can see that now innovation, where does it, where does it sit? Well, it sits everywhere. It sits everywhere. You have local coordinators when they pick up an idea from a, a frontline innovator. They know they have a network. They are a social network of local innovators that know how to move this to a committee. There are innovation committees that culminate into the committee at the board level. Okay. This makes good sense to me. And I certainly agree that for innovation to be meaningful, if we put it in a group, it's isolated. It does need to be driven from the top and it needs to be pushed down to all employees. And in these examples, a system is being created to support the employees through training and coaching and providing them some time as well to take action on innovation. There is a topic in your book that I don't know the details of, um, as I try not to read books in advance because I want to be curious like listeners are right now. Uh, but you talk about the three processes of innovating. And I don't know where those fit in, if they're in the examples we just talked about or not. But um, anytime I hear three processes for innovating, I want to know what those things are. So can you take us through that? Yes, thank you, Chad. This is very simple. It starts for the point that, as we said earlier, traditional organization, because this is really the focus of the book. This is traditional organizations in very established kind of businesses. They have a very powerful execution engine that is very hierarchical, very well structured. And, and that's fine when you're executing. But when you're innovating, this gets into the way. So you need to create a, a separate but parallel, parallel engine, which I call innovating engine or innovation engine. And basically, you need uh, 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 separate structures and processes for this innovating engine. So when the execution engine is about strategy, execution, and reporting, and, 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 and all that, the innovating is, engine is about three processes. One is creation, one is integration, and the last one is reframing. Hmm. Creation is the process by which the organization creates all of these new ideas. And the people who play a major role in there, of course, naturally, are the frontline people. They are the ones who face the customers and then customers and can detect, you know, in their daily work, the needs and the demands and the problems that the customers face. The second process is about integration. How do you connect? I mean, how do you connect the dots, basically? How do you connect all of these innovating ideas that are happening here and there in the organization and connect them into a social network that builds the innovating capability of the organization? How do you create a system that winnows, selects, and moves the ideas to the decision makers faster than going through the hierarchy? And again, the, the, the examples I was telling you about Allianz or BASF are exactly doing that with the ambassadors, with the, the local innovators, and with the coaches. They are doing this, you know, integrating. And then the last process is reframing. The last process is innovating because innovating, executing is about executing today's strategy. Innovating engine is about imagining the strategy of tomorrow. 
So you need to be able to have a process that can reimagine, challenge, rethink the strategy of today, challenge the assumptions that the company is making about who are who we are, who are our customers. What value are we creating for our customers? What can we learn from the non-customers, the people who don't necessarily patronize the company or people in other industries who are fulfilling similar needs for our customers? Uh So this this is what I would say, the three essential processes that are about innovating. And also, I would say that Every of the roles, whether you're a senior lead, mid-level coach, or frontline employee or manager, you have a role to play in these three processes. Excellent. So I like the three processes. Those make good sense to me. Creation, integration, reframing, and this top-down structure for how do we build into an organization an innovation engine that runs in parallel with our execution engine and doing that by providing the resources to training and coaching, giving that responsibility to the middle managers to make it happen. They're resourced that way and all employees are resourced as well to learn. And there's given some time to take action on this. Some of our product managers are probably listening and thinking, well, I'm not the CEO. I can't drive this from the top down. You know, I have a meaningful sphere of influence, but where can I fit into this to try to help our organization be a little bit more innovative? And I have some thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear what, what you think about someone who's in the middle of the organization that wants to start taking action to make such a thing happen. Yes, absolutely. This is a very good question. Again, there are three roles that are really important in jumpstarting this innovation engine. I said there's three processes, creating, integrating, and, 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 and reframing. And it doesn't, it doesn't uh, have to be a top down. It doesn't have to be coming from a decree from, from, from the CEO that now we're going to be innovative. It can start from any point. I mean, once, once people come up with ideas and, 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 and present them and, and learn from the non-customers, they maybe, in fact, what I discovered in my research is that people worry about uh, the organization not being innovative. In fact, it's to the contrary. People are very innovative. There are lots of ideas coming out every day. The problem is that there are some people getting in the way. It's, it's not a lack of innovating. It's actually letting, 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 uh, I mean, what I call giving permission to people and channeling it. Uh, a, a middle manager can, 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 for instance, create a space, a time for people to... Uh, I've seen people send uh, their uh, staff to uh, spend two hours with the customer. There's this B2B example of Corsa who makes fabric for tires. They take teams, cross-functional teams, and they let them literally camp in the plants of their customer. They spend they spend three four days in a row just camping there uh, for a few days and just observe what the what what the customer is doing and then and then they pop up with all sorts of ideas. They discovered, for instance, the the, the customer didn't know how how to uh, unload their rolls of fabric. I mean, they do this every day. They know how to do this. Now, is this innovation? Is this you won't know until you put it in place. So there are lots of potential for middle managers to give permission to, 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 to their staff to innovate. They don't need to have a decree from top management. They can themselves connect their people who have ideas with others. They are at the right position to be able to act as this connective body that links the dots across the organization. 
So I don't think people should give up just because there's uh, no, of course, a CEO by, by his words and his action can energize the company, can create you know, a, a sense of urgency about innovation. And that's what I would say CEOs have to do. But most of the time, the best thing they can do is stay away <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and let the innovation juices express themselves. Now, you need also some sort of a structure. I, mean, I, I don't mean to say that let thousand flowers bloom. You need to find a structure to channel those, 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 those to accompany these, these ideas. Excellent. Yeah. And product managers are in good positions for this. They certainly should be often are listening to the customer and gaining ideas, gaining insights, and then bringing those to a team and helping to filter and select. And they have a good level of influence to get others on board and support ideas and start making change happen. So I think product managers can take some good information away from, from being encouraged and how they might be able to spread innovation further in their organization than currently exists and be a catalyst for that. Yeah, for me, there's a, a very simple thing I learned once from, actually, this was uh, Jan Karendi. He was a board member at Allianz. And he said, you know, how do you motivate people to innovate, your, your team to innovate? And he said, people need three things to be able to innovate. They need to feel able. I mean, he meant they need to have permission. So you need to give permission to people. Second thing, they need to feel capable. Mm. So you need to give them uh, time, space, and more importantly, skills. Train them, give them uh, an ability to, to experiment. And then the third one is that they need to be motivated. They need to have the desire to innovate. And this is where it's uh, important to acknowledge their ideas. It is important to give them recognition. It is not about financial rewards. It is about uh, people are excited. They, they, they have a lot of ideas. They want to participate in the future of the organization. So if, 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 if I, I discovered the most important word to use for a middle manager when somebody comes up with an idea is to say thank you, is to say thank you. Because the thing is that when you are executing, you know that your boss uh, can detect whether you're doing a good job or not. But when you're innovating, your boss can never know whether you have an idea or not. It's in your head. So people could... Withdraw. They don't need to tell their boss they have an idea and, 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 and get punished for it. So they take a risk. They take a risk with what they're doing when they come to the boss and say, boss, I have a new idea. They're giving a boss a gift. And when, at least, you know, when I receive a gift, I think the important thing is to say thank you. So I think that if, if, if you create this kind of atmosphere that when people come up with an idea, the first thing they hear is thank you and let's work on it. Let's see if it, then it will create this, this motivation and this culture uh, of innovating. Very good. I appreciate the framework you shared, the example there of Barra and others of how they built this innovation DNA, really, and strengthen their innovation and processes to help us. More details, certainly, in the book, Built to Innovate. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes around here. What is a quote you have for us, and what does that mean? One thing I like to remind people, I mean, I've heard the quote, don't ask for permission, um, ask for forgiveness. So my quote would be, don't ask for permission, make others jealous. So just, just, just go develop an idea, make it work, and people will hear about it. And people, you, you, your bosses 
friends will hear about it and they'll come to your boss and say, oh, can you explain to me how you, you guys did it, how your team did it? So this is, this is more of a social contagion uh, model. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. I, I am very familiar with the first one. You know, ask for forgiveness <laughs> later, but uh, make others jealous inspires us even more. So that's wonderful. How can people find out about Built to Innovate and anything else you'd like to share with us? Oh, well, you, I'm sure uh, you can find it on Amazon by now. Really? And we have also a, a website for the, for the book. It's called www.btithebook.com. BTI.thebook.com. Uh, Got it. Okay. And I will put those links in the show notes. And once again, listeners, you'll find the information, all the detailed summary of everything we discussed and that one page action guide at productmasterynow.com slash 355. Ben, thank you so much for joining us and sharing the information. Thank you, Chad. It was lovely. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And listeners, remember, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.